I can tell you that all of us should use every breath we have to make sure that the lying stops on January 20th, 2021. 2021? Mr. Comey, I ain't got that long. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle From with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, and 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and Cottage Grove on KSO and in Eugene on KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth at least five days a week, I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. We've got a number of updates to get to on the ongoing election fraud boondoggles and challenges that we have been uh, reporting on in recent weeks following the 2018 midterm elections and on the developments late Friday and over the weekend into the corruption investigation. I guess that's the way we need to put it uh, into the president of the United States himself. (laughs) It's just, it just never stops. We will uh, try to hit all of the above today. And um, also my great thanks to Angie Coiro of In Deep Radio for filling in for Desi and me. That is Desi Doyen. You just heard. Yes. uh, Complaining. uh, Snipping, (laughs) uh, giving us snarky comments already. Yep. Anyway, thanks to Angie for filling in on our previous broadcast so that we could catch up with some overdue personal business here. Uh, Also coming up today, last week. In a tweet, naturally, Donald Trump described the amount of money budgeted to defense spending by the U.S. each year as, quote, crazy. That, even after he's been lauding himself for increasing defense spending since taking office, while condemning the Obama administration for slowing the growth of military budgets prior to that. If uh, Trump is calling himself crazy there, far be it from me to disagree with him. But, of course, as crazy as he might be, he's even more of a liar than he is crazy. So, of course, on Sunday, CNN confirmed that Donald Trump has agreed to a request from Defense Secretary James Mattis to propose a defense budget increase 
up to $750 billion for the coming year. That marks a reversal from his reported plans to shrink defense spending. According to Politico, that $750 billion would dwarf the $733 billion budget proposal that came from Mattis and other top military leaders and would represent a stunning about-face for a president who recently called the 2019 top line of $716 billion for defense spending crazy. So it had been $716. The, uh, the Pentagon wants $733 and now they're going to start with $750 billion as their proposal. In October, Trump had said the defense figure for 2020 would be $700 billion. That would be a cut of roughly 5% in line with uh, decreases that are planned for other agencies. Other agencies apparently will be cut. But now the uh, defense spending will once again increase. Now it'll be $750 billion. At least that's the proposal, according to two, these uh, two news outlets at uh, CNN and Politico. That's what the administration is proposing. Politico reports that Trump himself suggested the $750 billion number during a meeting last week with Mattis and Republican lawmakers as a negotiating tactic to ensure that the Democratic opposition does not push the uh, eventual defense budget below the $733 billion that Mattis and GOP lawmakers wanted this year. Again, remember, 733 is an increase from the record amount of $760 billion allocated for this year. A source told Politico that there was a discussion with the president about how to get to $733 billion, and Trump suggested that if the position is $733 billion, then we should submit a budget at $750 billion as a negotiating tactic. Which, of course, makes sense, but this comes from a guy who had previously said that the defense spending was crazy and that he only wanted to spend $700 billion for the coming fiscal year. So uh, <laughs> these numbers, one, uh, one defense official said that anything below $733 billion would increase risk. <laughs> so anything less than apparently a $17 billion increase over our already bloated military spending for the world's largest and most lethal military, which, by the way, is currently in zero major active boots on the ground type wars that somehow that's going to put the nation at risk. Really? No, not really. Those numbers, as investigative journalist Dave Lindorf at uh, uh, recently reported at The Nation, are all all of them just a big scam. They are all pretty much just made up out of whole cloth, largely pulled out of a hat to ensure that military budgets keep going up, whether it's actually needed or not, or whether it's even spent by the Pentagon each year. Lindorf uh, writes about this in an exclusive at The Nation that uh, where he describes all of this as the greatest decades long ongoing accounting fraud in the history of our nation. And I believe he's just about right. He'll join us shortly to explain how the Pentagon budget fraud actually works. But before that, some updates on the GOP election fraud cases that we've been following in that ninth congressional district U.S. House race in North Carolina 
where the Republican candidate Mark Harris was said to have won by just 905 votes on November 6 over the Democrat Dan McCready, who, uh, as we uh, told you last time we were uh, uh, here on the broadcast, has now unconceded in the race amid allegations that a very shady contractor hired by Harris in Bladen County, North Carolina, a guy by the name of McCray Dallas, appears to have illegally gamed absentee ballots in that in at least that county, resulting in the State Board of Elections refusing to certify the House race uh, and Harris's supposed victory. State and now uh, reportedly federal investigators uh, from the FBI are now, uh, these investigations from all of these people are now ongoing. Late last week, as I noted, McCready unconceded and called for a new election, which could include a new primary election given that Dowless worked for Harris in the primary as well, where he reportedly, uh, where Harris reportedly unseated the incumbent Republican congressman Robert Pittenger through similarly suspicious gaming of absentee ballots in the same county. Late on Friday, Harris posted a video statement to Twitter in which he, well, he pledged cooperation, sort of, with the investigation and said that he would support a new election, but only if the investigators turned up proof that the alleged fraud scheme was enough to have determined the results of the election. Here's part of Mark Harris's statement. The integrity of our electoral process is the heart of our democracy, and we must protect it. And although I was absolutely <laughs> unaware of any wrongdoing, that will not prevent me from cooperating with this investigation. He had no idea. I'm hopeful that this process will ultimately result in the certification of my election to Congress before the next House session begins. Keep hoping. However, if this investigation finds proof of illegal activity on either side to such a level that it could have changed the outcome of the election, on either then side. I would wholeheartedly support a new election to ensure all voters have confidence in the results. On either side? <laughs> and what's all, he talking about there? Exactly. And also, some weasel words there. Yeah. If it's shown exactly. that it changes the results of the election. In other words, he doesn't care if there was actually election fraud. If it doesn't change the outcome. If it doesn't change the outcome, it doesn't matter. Well, there are enough ballots in both Bladen County and Robeson County that weren't sent in, that were requested from Democrats but never sent in, that could have changed the results all on their own. Now, the remarks uh, from Harris uh, posted on Friday that were similar to the one that the North Carolina GOP had taken the day before after previously calling, demanding that Harris's race be certified immediately. Then they said, well, we could have a new election if we find that there are uh, enough uh, votes to change the result. Now, under North Carolina law, state election officials can call. They don't have to use this standard that Republicans are inventing here. They can call a new election if it's found that uh, enough fraud, well, that if fraud or irregularities occurred at all, that uh, tainted the results. One provision of the statute in question says the election board can take any necessary action uh, steps here, quote, to assure that an election is determined without taint of fraud or corruption. So even the taint is enough <laughs> to stop this uh, certification from moving forward. Whether or not the numbers were large enough to change the results actually doesn't matter. And as I noted, given the absurd number of absentee votes for Harris 
in, and the huge number of requested absentee ballots from Democrats that never actually showed up from both Bladen County and Robeson County in the 9th District, there would have been more than enough to change the results of the election. But that's not even the required standard here. Now, moreover, the U.S. House of Representatives itself has the ultimate authority to decide which members will or won't be seated, no matter what the State Board of Elections decides. In this case, it will be a democratically controlled majority in the U.S. House that will ultimately make the determination, if necessary, about who will or won't be seated. And they also could demand a new primary election in the bargain. But the NC9 race is not is not the only one that they're going to have to make some decisions about after the new session begins in January. There's another potentially contested race said to have been won by another GOPer that is also raising some eyebrows because of campaign election violations that took place during that race. Uh, I had hoped to get to the story late last week, but I couldn't squeeze it in. But now we've got some new developments anyway here today. So last week, newly elected Congressman-elect Ross Spano in the 15th Congressional District in Florida admitted that loans that he made to his campaign, quote, may have been in violation of the Federal Campaign Finance Act. In a letter at the end of November to the uh, to the FEC, a lawyer for Spano listed one hundred and eighty thousand dollars in personal loans that Spano took out during his congressional campaign from two people who are longtime friends of his. And around the same time, Spano personally lent his campaign nearly the same amount from his own personal funds. So he took out these loans, supposedly from these friends, and then he gave them to the campaign. That's a huge violation of whatever federal uh, campaign finance laws that we have left. Candidates for federal office can donate or loan as much as they want from their own personal wealth to their campaigns. But according to the federal election law, if any person, including a relative or friend of the candidate, gives or loans the candidate money, quote, for the purpose of influencing any election for federal office, the funds are not considered to be personal funds of the candidate, even if they are given to the candidate directly. So these friends gave him, you know, nearly two hundred thousand dollars. Then he put that money into his campaign. That is illegal. In fact, those friends are subject to the same uh, limits. Twenty seven hundred dollars, two thousand seven hundred dollars per election. That's the limit. And uh, yet they gave nearly two hundred thousand in this election. Okay, so he basically asked for a loan from his friends, put it in his own bank account, donated it to his campaign saying, it's my money. Right. And And that's okay. Yeah. And And that's not not okay. (laughs) No. Uh, Spano and his lawyers here have uh, said, oh, this is all just one big oversight. They said when representative elect took uh, Spano took out the personal loans and when representative elect Spano made the loans to the committee. He believed he was acting in full compliance with the law based on the consultations that they had at the time. This according to his lawyer in this letter to the FEC. But Spano's defeated Democratic opponent, Kristen Carlson, has now referred the matter to the FBI for investigation. And according to the Tampa Bay Times, Spano's Republican primary opponent, A former state rep has also accused Spano of breaking the same law. 
The Tampa Bay Times reported during the campaign itself that Spano was months overdue in filing his uh, personal financial disclosure form that ultimately ended up revealing these personal loans that he took from uh, from these two friends. And now today, Politico is reporting that things are even worse than that. Politico reports on Monday that one of the two friends whose uh, whose loans to Spano uh, was was has also been this same friend has also been helping to screen applicants for his congressional office. A guy by the name of Kerry Carano or Serrano, I'm not sure, who loaned Spano one hundred and ten thousand dollars has acted, quote, as a sort of employment agent for the congressman-elect, Politico reports, helping interview prospective job hires. One unnamed congressional job applicant told Politico that Carino's role with Spano's office was, quote, really weird. The source said someone in Spano's office was helping to coordinate interviews because Carino and uh, between Carino and applicants to the office. An unnamed staffer in a different office told Politico that was a huge red flag. Well, I should say so. In other words, this guy may have bought a congressman, essentially, with illegal campaign contributions. And now he's determining who the congressman's staffers will or won't be. Nice work if you can buy it. And remember, Republicans pretend that they are worried about Democrats criminally influencing our democracy with fraud. A spokesperson for Spano told Politico that this uh, guy, this Kerry Carino, is one of Ross's oldest friends and that Ross often asks his opinion uh, or for him to weigh in on various matters, but he has not been involved in any official capacity in the D.C. Uh, DC hiring process, the spokesperson said. Now, uh, remember that letter where Spano's lawyer said that uh, Spano now recognizes that some of the proceeds from the personal loans made to uh, Spano may have been in violation of federal election law? Well, that letter, written on behalf of Spano and his campaign, goes on to say that to to address the problem, uh, Spano had terminated the prior accountancy, compliance and relevant consultancy, consultancy uh, representation, among other things. So, in other words, they threw the campaign treasurer under the bus with this letter. They blamed it and they said, well, we have fired that campaign treasurer. Well, according to Politico, it was Carino who did the actual firing of Spano's campaign uh, treasurer. He told the campaign's uh, treasurer that she was fired. This guy who gave the money to the campaign. So Democrats will have so more on that, no doubt to come. Democrats will now have not one, but at least two election contests that they may need to decide in the U.S. House next year, depending on how things play out. Uh, House Democratic leader Nancy Pelosi has told reporters that it's possible neither of the Republicans who won those races in both North Carolina and Florida in November, that neither of them will be sworn in when the 116th Congress convenes in January. It's not just the Democrats that have a problem with what went on in North Carolina. It's the Republicans, too, Pelosi observed last week. She said uh, that, uh, you know, they've got this issue of the primary in North Carolina 
where the GOP primary was gamed against the incumbent Republican Robert Pittenger. He's none too happy. And in Florida, the GOP primary loser in that race in Florida's 15th district, a guy by the name of Neil Comby, called Spano, quote, a dirty criminal, saying, quote, this small man thinks he can break the law and get sent to Congress. So this is not just Democrats objecting in both of these races. It's Democrats and Republicans as well. And there could be a third race that gets challenged that we don't have time to talk about today. But don't forget, there has been a Republican who has demanded a recount up in Maine in a House race that was won by the uh, by the Democrat there, said to have been won by the Democrat after the Republican had won after the first count of ballots. But the Democrat supposedly ended up winning due to a computer algorithm that counts the votes in Maine under their new ranked choice voting scheme. So that one is being challenged as well. Lord only knows what's going to happen after the first of the year when Pelosi uh, and the Democrats come in and all of these challenges begin to happen. We'll see. Hopefully we'll be here to cover them. Uh, for now, though, let's take a quick break. Speaking of uh, campaign finance violations, we'll come back if we have time uh, to talk about Donald Trump, who appears to have personally directed a scheme to do that. But for now, my guest is standing by. Dave Lindorf is here to discuss the scam run by both parties in Congress for decades now. The defense spending scam that is, uh, well, bankrupting this nation, frankly. It's why we can't have nice things. We will talk about the Pentagon's massive accounting fraud exposed next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Well, not nothing. The defense contractors are pretty happy about it. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Well, as long as we have been talking about President, uh, well, Bush presidencies again of late, back in 2001, just months after George W. Bush took office that year, then-Defense Secretary Donald Rumsfeld, who had pledged to trim costs at the Pentagon to make it more efficient, offered a stunning announcement regarding the huge military budget that was his official responsibility as a notoriously micromanaging defense secretary, as he argued that foreign adversaries, in fact, were not the greatest threat faced by the U.S. The adversary is closer to home. It's the Pentagon bureaucracy. In fact, it could be said that it's a matter of life and death. According to some estimates, we cannot track 2.3 trillion dollars in transactions. 
$2.3 trillion. The Pentagon was having trouble locating an amount of money that was, as investigative reporter Dave Lindorf recently described at The Nation, an amount more than five times as large as the Pentagon's entire fiscal year 2001 budget of about $313 billion. $2.3 trillion was missing, was gone, was unaccounted for. The money, as Rumsfeld suggested at the time, was lost or even just untrackable. It was, as Lindorf writes, a startling announcement at the time, at least for one 24-hour news cycle. No Pentagon leader had ever said such a thing, nor has anyone done so since then. But, he notes, Rumsfeld's expose died quickly as the following morning, on September 11, 2001, four hijacked commercial jet planes plowed full speed into the two World Trade Center towers, the Pentagon, and a field in Pennsylvania. Since that time, there has been no follow-up and no effort made to find the missing money. In September of 2017, more than a decade and a half later, Republican Senator Charles Grassley of Iowa, a critic of the Department of Defense's financial practices, said on the Senate floor that the Pentagon's longstanding failure to conduct a proper audit reflects, quote, 26 years of hardcore foot dragging on the part of the DOD, where internal resistance to auditing the books runs deep. The senator said he was referring to a 1990 law that was passed by Congress called the Chief Financial Officers Act, requiring all departments and agencies of the federal government to develop auditable accounting systems and submit to annual audits. Since then, every department and agency has come into compliance except for the Pentagon, the government's largest discretionary cost center. The DOD receives 54 cents out of every dollar in federal appropriations. That's 54 cents out of every tax dollar. And yet, it seems, nobody actually knows what happens to that money, what it's spent on, and where it actually goes. Because of the decades-long failures, Congress ordered an independent audit of the Pentagon and, just last month, as Lindorf describes in his new exclusive report at The Nation titled The Pentagon's Massive Accounting Fraud Exposed, the independent auditing firm uh, giant Ernst & Young and a number of other private firms that were hired to audit the Pentagon announced last month they could not complete the job. The firms concluded that the DOD's financial records were riddled with so many bookkeeping deficiencies, irregularities, and errors that a reliable audit was simply impossible. That, as Lindorf notes, Congress appropriated a record $716 billion for the DOD in the current fiscal year of 2019. That is up a total of $24 billion from the fiscal year in 2018, which itself was up $6 billion from the fiscal year of 2017 when we spent $686 billion. Now, Donald Trump has been very proud of these increases in defense spending even as the closest thing to a full-scale war that the U.S. is currently fighting is in Afghanistan, where approximately 15,000 U.S. troops are deployed. That is just 2.8% as many as were involved in Vietnam at the height of that war. All of this, as Lindorf argues, 
amounts to little more than a gigantic unconstitutional accounting fraud, deliberately cooking the books to mislead the Congress and drive the DOD's budget ever higher year after year, regardless of military necessity. That, it should be noted, as we are told year after year that the federal government does not have enough money to fix our crumbling infrastructure, to fund our schools, or, or even to provide health care insurance for every American who needs it. Joining us now to discuss this uh, remarkable story and what he says is actually happening with all of that unaccounted-for taxpayer money shoveled annually into the Pentagon is David Lindorf. He is the award-winning investigative reporter who has been raking the journalistic muck for some 40 years now. He writes for The Nation, London Review of, of Books, Salon. He's the author of several books himself and the founder of the journalist's news website, ThisCan'tBeHappening.net. Dave Lindorf, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on, Pat. Uh, before we discuss what you argue is actually going on with the DOD funding that leads to larger and larger budgets each year while making an actual audit of yearly spending impossible, how did the Pentagon respond last month to this uh, recent announcement from the uh, independent auditors that an actual audit after all of these years was, in fact, impossible? Well, it's pretty funny. Patrick Shanahan, who is uh, Deputy Secretary of Defense, came out and told the press that we failed the audit, but we never expected to pass it. And uh, he was right about that. Um, I was warned in advance that it would fail because of all the fake numbers in the budget and the inability to have prior year budgets that you could rely on, which you need when you do a current audit. And then he said, it was an audit on a 2.7 trillion organization, so the fact that we did the audit is, is substantial. Um, the, but... They, he wanted credit for having done it, but the you know our our brainless media mass media, mm -hmm. um, which has no historical context ever in their articles, failed to mention that for 26 years the Pentagon has been stonewalling the congressional mandate to have an auditable budget. They've been saying things like uh, the the standard refrain is, oh, we have these legacy systems, and they don't talk to each other, and uh, we just can't do an audit and or have an auditable budget. And, you know, I look at that, and I say, well, 26 years ago, I was using a K-Pro, and you guys were using <laughs> probably IBM right. desktops, right. and a lot has advanced since then, and the Pentagon is the one agency of all the agencies in the U.S. government that had ample money to buy the newest equipment, you know, as it does with weapons, so that it could audit its budget. I, it, I mean, they could have bought five Watsons from IBM, you know, and, of course. and done the whole job. I, I, yeah, I know. Uh, the fact that the Pentagon uh, seems to want just a participation award for the fact that they had an audit, even though the audit failed is kind of remarkable but in the, in the old days dave uh you know before trump and back when republicans still used to at least pretend a little bit to be fiscal hawks you know who are concerned about government waste and fraud and abuse the, uh, this this failure to even be able to audit the pentagon might have led to some new headlines but frankly i'm only even hearing about this massive failure from you now in in the nation a month or so later what has the response been from Republicans like Chuck well, Grassley. Wait, wait, let's not lay this on Republicans. This is a bipartisan failure. I know. A, is it? Is it? We have a we have a, a 
single war party that runs the country, and mm-hmm. Democrat, Republican, and they've known about this stonewalling by the Pentagon for 26 years, which includes a lot of Democratic congresses. Mm-hmm. Nobody has ever called them to the carpet on this. The only person who has been consistently uh, in, uh, infuriated is uh, Chuck Grassley. You know, who's not a particularly popular person among liberals and and the left. Well, but that's what uh, I'm that's what I'm asking, Dave, because I'm wondering what his response was and what the congressional Democrats, what their response was, <laughs> anybody's response to this rather remarkable news. He uh, actually had uh, a year ago told David Norquist, the CFO for the Pentagon, mm-hmm. uh, who has the rank of undersecretary. Uh, he said that, you know, in all those years, the Pentagon has all this money to fund fancy weapons, but it can't come up with an auditable budget. You know, he said he said uh, that he was inclined to believe that it was deliberate, that the Pentagon doesn't want its budget uh, to be audited. And, you know, he just called him out. And, and he's not the only one who said that. I, my sources in this uh, article, mm-hmm. who are both uh, off-the-record sources and on-the-record, some pretty key people on the record, mm-hmm. uh, are pretty much of a mind that the Pentagon is simply unwilling to do a have itself audited, doesn't want to be audited, and that the fake numbers, which is what I've concluded these uh, huge numbers are mm-hmm. are deliberately there to, as Chuck Spinney, a very famous and highly praised whistleblower from the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, says the purpose is to paralyze Congress, and and I would add to paralyze the press. Uh, nobody can understand the budget. Nobody wants to stick their neck out and talk about uh, these absolutely crazy numbers that would lead people to say that they're tinfoil-headed. Mm-hmm. Conspiracy theorists, right. it, because if you you know if you try to say this is real money, which you know maybe some of it is real money, but we don't even know because they won't explain what it is. I, but, but they're uh, called plugs, by the way, in the mm-hmm. Pentagon, which is a, an interesting term. It's not an accounting term, but that's what they do. They make up the numbers and they plug them in, and they have no basis in in you know underlying ledgers or anything. What it does is it it just makes it impossible to know what has happened to the $700 billion that was put in each year. Let me talk about those plugs, because you've been able to sort of uh, explain what these mean in your story. And I I have to admit, even after reading, it's a lengthy story. It's an excellent story. I read it uh, several times. I'm still having trouble uh, figuring this out, but I think that's by design, not by you, but by the Pentagon. You describe these uh, plugs essentially as uh, at the heart of this long unconstitutional fraud, as you call it, that the Pentagon is carrying out. So explain to me how this works. Uh, They get a budget each year. Let's say the military, uh, the U.S. Army gets uh, X billions of dollars, and then that money is not fully spent each year, but instead of returning it to the taxpayer as they are supposed to under law, they do something, they plug it in elsewhere for, for later or, or, use? Or nipper it. They nipper it. <laughs> That's another right? term. They, they named after the uh, little metal shears that you cut metal with. Mm-hmm. You snip it, and then, then you, you put it, plug it in to mm-hmm. somewhere else where it won't be found. So 
you build up a slush fund of money that is unaccountable. There's there's several kinds of money that the Pentagon gets. It gets what's called one-year money that is for basic running of the Pentagon, various mm-hmm. operations from fighting wars to uh, paying salaries mm-hmm. to repairing buildings. You know, all of these things are, are one-year money. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, there's five-year money, which is like program money for things like weapons projects, like the F-35 or the F-22 or, or you know, the uh, destroyers mm-hmm. and cruisers or uh, what have you. Mm-hmm. So um, one-year money is required to be uh, returned to the Treasury if it's not all spent within a year. And everybody knows that any bureaucracy uh, or agency seeks desperately to make sure that it spends all its money that's appropriated so that they can ask for more the next year because if you if you spend less mm-hmm. then you know the uh, appropriators in congress would be more likely to say oh you didn't need that much money well this year we'll give you what you spent last year you know because we obviously gave you too much right so you never want to do that that's sort of a bureaucratic rule so what the pentagon does is they they ask for more money than they need then they don't spend it all and then they uh, tuck away what isn't spent in ways that it won't be found, uh, violating the Constitution, by the way, and then that unspent money becomes a slush fund that's available to use however they want. Unless people think this is a fantasy that, no, they would never do that and they could never get away with it, mm-hmm. they did it in the 1980s. And, and Chuck Spinney was the one, you know, along with some of the, uh, his colleagues, uh, other whistleblowers at that time, exposed it and what it turned out was in the in the the iteration of this theft from the taxpayer in the 80s what they did was they overstated the the inflation adjustment in their budget request for the following year that was a period i'm not sure how old you are but uh you know, in the 80s, there uh-huh. was some pretty epic inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point, it got as high, uh, briefly, as I think about 10%. But what the Pentagon did was, because people were thinking and there's a lot of inflation, they put in a 30% uh, bonus in their requests for money. And, of course, uh, inflation never hit anything near 30%. So at the end of the year, when they hadn't spent th- that much for the inflated costs, that they had claimed might happen, they took instead of returning that money, they put it into something called a merged surplus account and hid it. And that money quickly piled up to be somewhere between sixty and a hundred billion dollars, and that was a lot of money back then. Right. Because the you know back in the eighties, the defense budget was more like three hundred billion dollars. And so, so you had $100 billion floating around that was unaccountable. And Spinney says that he and his comrades uh, had some evidence that it might have been used to help fund the Iran-Contra uh, scandal, where the Reagan administration was paying for a, uh army to fight the uh, Nicaraguan government, mm-hmm. the Sandinista government, uh, even after Congress had passed a law outlawing government funding for the Contras. Does does any of this money <coughs> then that they uh, that they're allocated each year, they don't spend, they sock it away in some account or another? Does 
Does that actually explain Rumsfeld's going back to 2001, his so-called missing no. $2.3 trillion? Do we, what, what, what? No, that's, different. that's a different thing. The, the, the huge numbers, uh-huh. the, the trillions of dollars, have to be fake, uh, in my view, because if you have trillions of dollars in secret money mm-hmm. that would be coming, it would have to be manufactured money. It would have to be money that's being printed by the Fed, uh, for example, the way they printed money and handed it to the uh, uh, too-big-to-fail banks in mm-hmm. the fiscal crisis when they gave trillions of dollars to the banks and lent it to them uh, by having require, mandating that they buy Treasury bills. You, you can make money. You know, the Fed can print money. Uh, but if it printed that much money and the Pentagon was spending it, um, we wouldn't have had a recession. We would have had, you know, epic uh, stimulus spending during that whole period from 2007 on um, when these huge plugs were showing up. But what does that so mean? Is, what does that mean that that Rump, you say that it's fake? The two point three trillion dollars was he just wrong about those numbers? They did not actually exist. We weren't yeah, missing. Yeah, he didn't that know money? what it was. I mean, that's the that's the funny part. He didn't know what it was himself. He saw the numbers, uh, and by the way, these numbers are on the uh, asset and liability side. So even if it was, if the, if they were real, they mm-hmm. tend to in part cancel each other out. So you're saying you you received a uh, trillion dollars, and you're saying you spent a trillion dollars. You know, it, so uh, it's not as though there's it, it's all cash coming secretly in or expenditures being made secretly. So these numbers, what they, the only the only real impact of them, mm-hmm. other than that they do allow you know if there is secret money being spent, uh, it would be easy to hide it because because there are all these numbers that sort of blind the uh, the overseers who might look at it in Congress or whatever. It's, it's, I think they almost breeze past them because they say, well, that can't be right. <laughs> well, and, and even Ernst and Young can't figure it out when they actually exactly. are allowed they to do it. They walked away from it. Uh, they, they threw up their hands and walked away from it. So, so the numbers are fake. And they destroy any credibility of of the budgeting that's being offered by the Pentagon. But here's what what's happening: the Pentagon, each year, they come in and they give Congress an accounting of the current year and fiscal year's income and spending. Mm-hmm. You know the financial report, right? And they give them the prior year too. So so in this case, it would be they'd give them fiscal. 17 financial reports, they'd give them uh, fiscal 18 financial mm-hmm. reports, and then they'd put in a budget for what they need, they say they need, for fiscal 2019. And so Congress is getting all this to look at, and presumably what they're supposed to do at the Armed Services Committee is to look at the prior year spending and what happened to it, and then say, okay, and this is what you're asking for, so we'll, you know, we'll give you what you're asking for because you are showing us what you did with it before. But you know, as Jack Armstrong said in my article, mm-hmm. now Jack Armstrong is the, uh, for five years uh, or six years, was the supervisory director of audits at the Office of Inspector General. So he really knows what's going on and what, what uh, the Pentagon budgets are. And he, he told me that if the Pentagon were being honest, they would go to Congress and say, all these financial documents we're giving you are garbage. And that's pretty strong language. 
Yeah, <laughs> it, it, essentially, you know, that's the inspector general saying that they are just making up numbers, bringing in the Congress so they can ask for more money the next year. Isn't the inspector general here? I mean, this was it was kind of striking. Um, you know, auditors uh, did not understand this when they looked at it. But the year after year, the inspector general is supposed to be overseeing this. What is the is the inspector general yelling and screaming and going to Congress and saying, hey, they're making up the numbers? No, they're very gentle about it. What they do is they say they, they point to the numbers, these astonishing numbers, yeah. trillions of dollars. And they say these are these numbers are not supported by uh, underlying accounts that can show what's yeah. happening. So they'll say, uh, you know, go back and fix this. <laughs> But nobody goes but back and nobody does. It. And then the same thing happens the following year. And nobody has been prosecuted for this. Nobody has been fired for this. And also, when they, an interesting thing that Armstrong told me was um, there were some numbers that were quite large that said supported. And I asked him about that, uh, and, you know, and others that are mm-hmm. not supported. And I said, well, how can it be that, you know, uh, a number that's larger than the Army budget uh, is within the Army accounting is said to be supported? And he said, oh, well, supported in the view of the inspector general means that it was signed off on by the appropriate senior leadership. Uh, uh, you know, so it's not just a number from a guy, you know, with a green eye shade uh, writing out a number because he's too lazy to put in the right number. Um, it's If it's signed off on by the proper authority mm-hmm. in the chain of command, then it's supported. Whether or not there's evidentiary material to back it, uh, I've got I've got uh, just a minute or two here, uh, Dave, and I will point folks over to this uh, to this article uh, exclusive: the Pentagon's massive accounting fraud exposed over at the Nation. Um, I'm. Uh, I guess I'm 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 struck by well a obviously the defense contractors are all doing fine here but you know we have so-called conservatives who don't seem all that interested in getting to the bottom of this but we do have some new democrats in congress like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others who would like to see you know things like single payer health care and and other additional social spending they might be very interested that there is a whole bunch of billions of dollars that are not actually being spent each year. Have you heard uh, since the publication of your article? Have you heard from uh, from any of those new Democrats or even from uh, you know Republicans who have read this and said we need to do something about this? Well, I got it after uh, months of trying to get a comment from Bernie Sanders' office. I finally got a written response that says that there's a lot of fraud and waste at the Pentagon and we need to get to the bottom of it. It was pretty, a pretty, you know, blasé yeah, boilerplate. Uh, comment, but uh, yeah, it sounded pretty boilerplate, but at least he said, you know, that, that there's a problem. He didn't address the plugs. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard's office sent me something similar uh, saying we need to get to the bottom of it, but it was also uh, didn't, she, she uh, didn't address the plugs. Uh, the only one who did was uh, oh, in Beto O'Rourke's office, uh, and he's on the Armed Services Committee, as is Tulsi Gabbard, mm-hmm. uh, in the House, uh, did not respond to repeated efforts to get a comment. Um, so it, it, you know, it's not that encouraging. Ocasio Cortez is the exception, and 
she got hammered in the media because she misconstrued what the $21 trillion is. She described it as, you know, missing funds and said that could have funded two-thirds of the cost of 10 years of Medicare for all. But it's not missing funds. You know, I tried to make pretty clear that it's not. Um, but she did do something remarkable. Because she went out on a limb and, and tweeted that out, uh, it was the first time that the 21 tri- trillion figure that was discovered by uh, academic researcher Mark Skidmore at Michigan State University ever made it into the corporate media. They've ignored his, studiously ignored his report that was issued last fall, uh, and the number has never appeared in the mass media, uh, corporate media, and now it has. And in fact, thanks to Ocasio-Cortez, the fact-checkers at the Washington Post and PolitiFact and Vox are saying that our story is correct and that Mark Skidmore's research is correct about the plugs. And that's a huge breakthrough. Well, we're getting somewhere, I guess. Yeah, Uh, so thank you to her. I mean, we need that kind of gutsiness. I wish she had contacted me before she wrote the tweet and we could have gotten it right, but she got it out there and the number is now there and it's reported as correct in the Washington Post. And you offer a uh, an apt reminder at the end of your story that, as I say, I'll point folks towards uh, that, you know, in this case, the defense contractors, uh, obviously, they are winners here, but you note the losers are everyone else. You cite Republican uh, President Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was then a uh, retired five-star military general back in 1953 when he noted, quote, every gun that is made, every warship launched, every rocket fired signifies in the final sense a theft from those who hunger and are not fed, those who are cold and are not clothed. I think that's going to be important to remember in the days, in the years ahead here as the uh, fights continue to try to actually take care of our people and stop shoveling all of this money into unaccounted for uh, black holes in the in the Pentagon. Dave Lindorf, I'll point folks, as I said, to your article exclusive, The Pentagon's Massive Accounting Fraud Exposed at uh, The Nation in the uh, paper version of the magazine, which is available next month. But the article is now this online week, actually. Uh, this week. OK, <clears throat> and you can, uh, of course, read it at thenation.com. Dave Lindorf, greatly appreciate your work here. And and uh, you're joining us today. Hope to speak to you again in the future, my friend. Thank you so much, Brad. I hope to. Bye-bye. Okay, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back. If we have time, remarkable that the potential impeachment of a president ends up in our C-block, but that's, well, that's where we are. Quick break, and we're back with some of that. If I have time, right here on the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Five major corporations now control more than 80% of the media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. You can make a difference. Support independent media. Drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Breaking rocks in the hot sun I fought the law and the law won I 
about the law and the law one. We'll see if the law wins or not. In this case, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. House Intelligence Committee ranking member, soon to be its chairman, Congressman Adam Schiff, Democrat from California, said on Sunday that President Donald Trump may, quote, face the real prospect of jail time after he leaves the White House, given allegations by prosecutors in the Southern District of, uh, of New York regarding Trump's involvement in campaign violations that were carried out by Michael Cohen at, that's his, per, his one-time personal lawyer and, and fixer, at Trump's direction, according to federal prosecutors in a filing on Friday, who say that, yes, Donald Trump did direct this fraudulent scheme to pay off these two women with whom he was uh, having affairs. Allegedly, here's Adam Schiff on uh, on CNN, on Face the Nation on CBS on Sunday. The filing made Friday uh, by federal prosecutors in Manhattan references individual one about 30 times. Individual one is President Trump, uh, and it appears to link him to campaign finance violations. It doesn't charge him with any wrongdoing, though. What's your takeaway? My takeaway is there's a very real prospect that uh, on the day Donald Trump leaves office, the Justice Department uh, may indict him, uh, that he may be the first president uh, in quite some time to face the real prospect of jail time. We have been discussing the issue of pardons that the president may offer to people or dangle in front of people. Uh, the bigger pardon question may come down the road as the next president has to determine whether to pardon uh, Donald Trump. So that's a serious allegation from uh, Congressman Schiff, again, who will head the Intelligence Committee in the U.S. House. Yeah, that's a big deal. Now, never mind that special counsel Robert Mueller uh, or the uh, so-called uh, Russia witch hunt, which is anything but a witch hunt, and the uh, special counsel uh, filing also alleged an influence on Friday, also alleged an influential Russian official had reached out to the Trump campaign for, quote, political synergy long before uh, anybody knew or the public knew until Friday as of er as of uh, as early as November of 2015. Apparently, there was this communication between Trump and this top level Russian official who is unidentified in the paper. But even if you wish uh, to discount Mueller's Russia probe as a witch hunt, this is a completely separate issue by a totally separate federal prosecutor for a completely different crime. This is the uh, Southern District of New York, not the special counsel, but the federal prosecutors in New York, charging campaign finance violations, at least against the guy who apparently wrote the checks or asked for the checks, Michael Cohen, at the direction of so-called individual one who is identified as Donald Trump. Now, one might, uh, you know, this could could have prevented the seating of a U.S. House member in this case in Florida, which we mentioned at the top of the show. It a similar campaign finance violation may keep him out. So shouldn't that equally apply to the president of the United States? Who only won, recall, very narrowly in a few states and, you know, paying off uh, the porn star and the Playboy model to keep that from going public could have assured enough votes to win the presidency. That seems very serious. So here's uh, Adam Schiff with more on this and and uh, the notion that whoever is the next president 
may wish to uh, pardon Donald Trump. Now, I think the, the prosecutors in New York make a powerful case against that idea. Uh, all the arguments they make about Michael Cohen, the idea that while people are out walking precincts and doing what they should do in campaigns, uh, the rich and powerful seem to live by a different set of rules. Uh, this was the argument for putting Michael Cohen in jail on these campaign violations. That argument, I think, was equally made with respect to individual one, the president of the United States. The president's attorney, Rudy Giuliani, says, though, that uh, this can't be a campaign finance violation because of the precedent set. He cites specifically um, what happened with former vice presidential candidate and Democrat uh, John Edwards, who used campaign funding to cover up an affair. What do you make of that defense and interpretation? Well, it's clear the Justice Department here uh, is making the argument that the principal purpose of these payments was to affect the election. Mm -hmm. uh, and Cohen has admitted as much. Um, I think in the case with Edwards, there were problems of proof. Here, it appears the Justice Department doesn't think there's any problem of proving that this was intended to principally affect the election. Uh, and to have uh, the Justice Department basically say that the President of the United States not only coordinated but directed an illegal campaign scheme that may have had an election-altering impact is pretty breathtaking. It is. Now, remember, uh, John Edwards, he went, he was federally charged with, uh, with this as a campaign finance violation for having paid off a uh, woman with whom he was having an affair. He claims that it was not to affect the election, but to uh, shield it from his wife to uh, keep her from finding out about it. Donald Trump could try to make that same argument, but here you got Michael Cohen saying, no, this was to affect the election. Uh, and if, uh, as Schiff says, if Michael Cohen is going to jail for this, for this conspiracy, it sure seems like his fellow conspirator, Donald Trump, who directed the scheme, ought to face jail time as well, whether he is the president of the United States or not. Then again, I believe we're a campaign, a, a country of, of, uh, of laws, not a country of men. But I'm frequently proven wrong about that. We will find out. Uh, also, I want to talk uh, in a later, I guess we'll have to do this in a later episode, about the uh, Democrats' response to this and whether this should be a, an impeachable offense. Jerry Nadler says it's impeachable, but they may not want to bring impeachment uh, proceedings in the, uh, in the U.S. House Judiciary Committee. That's kind of incoherent, but we don't have time for that incoherency <laughs> today. We will hold it for our next thrilling broadcast. Until then, thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Dave Lindorf of The Nation, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us worldwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. And my thanks to those of you who stopped by bradblog.com donate we rely on you to stay on your public airwaves so thank you that's it i'm out of here until we meet again i'm brad friedman good luck world